This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. This is the Doctor Who Podcast, episode 312. Once again, I'm joined by James. Hello, James. Hello, Phil. Hello, everybody. So since we've been away, you know, what uh, what have you been up to? How are you in these COVID-related oh, wow. times? Like, I hate to mention that word. I really do, COVID. I, I know, I know. You, you turn on your radio, you turn on a television, and it's all about restrictions or lockdown or something. And um, I would imagine that listeners probably rely on their Doctor Who podcast to get away from it all. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let, let's have a COVID-free <laughs> podcast, shall we? <laughs> well, wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? Uh, but yeah, it's. I, I think in a way it's almost informing um, everything, including uh, our recording schedule. Uh, yep. Because despite the fact that we're both, um, both at home far more than we used to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason, I don't know about you, Phil, but I'm having far less free time and, and, and something doesn't add up there. <laughs> you know? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, we should all be sort of relaxing, working from home and sort of making lots of cups of tea and occasionally watching the telly rather than answering emails or, or going through Are spreadsheets, you- whatever the hell we do respectively. But uh, no, I've never, <laughs> I've never been so busy in all my life. It's, it's crazy. Indeed, but it's interesting uh, that you mentioned cups of tea because my, my, my tea and coffee intake has definitely increased and um, all of a sudden um, the excitement uh, that is normally created moving from the dining room table to the sofa uh, has, has increased exponentially, you know, and uh, I mean, <laughs> mainly because uh, I'm, I'm trying to force myself to take lunch breaks and be quite disciplined. It's not hmm. always working, but when I do, I try and turn on uh, an episode of Doctor Who, uh, even if it's just a 25-minute uh, episode. I've not been particularly successful in doing that as often as um, I'd like when I first thought of the idea. But on the whole, I've, I've been more in touch with the world of Doctor Who because I've been working from home and um, all my alerts pop up and yeah. I actually look at them rather than uh, you know wait until I'm free. But um, having said that, there's been practically no new Doctor Who news for a very long time, really. Nothing no. major, anyway. The only what, what we discussed on the last podcast, actually, was um, the, the rumour that going around was that Josie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall had, had actually left. And this was sort of certainly doing the... It was picking up speed, put it that way. However, um, since we last recorded, the... Now, I've got to be honest, the Daily Mirror has never been the most reliable source of information, but they, they do seem to sort of come up trumps when it comes to the rumours they seem to have quite a reliable source but apparently they're going to be recording or filming I should say the next series fairly soon Hmm. Um, which apparently is round about the time they were due to start filming had we not been under this pandemic so So does that mean there's been no interruption to the schedule at all uh, that's the way it would seem yes well okay well if that's the case then presumably this is the only tv show that's not been impacted by the pandemic at all. <laughs> well, precisely. I know that um, 
EastEnders is, is back on our screens again because they've recorded new episodes and they've been quite clever in hiding the fact that all their actors have to socially distance. So they've been quite clever with sort of like in-camera trickery, <laughs> especially for, for people who sort of like trying to get close to one another. There'll be a lot of perspex screens up between actors, and but you wouldn't oh, really? notice. Yeah, so I begin to wonder if they've used this as, as a kind of a proving ground for some of the other shows they're going to start filming on. Well, possibly, I suppose. But, um, you know, and, and to be fair, I'm sure the production schedule has been hit uh, by the oh, pandemic, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, even if the schedule has not, because, of course, you've got all of these considerations uh, that you you didn't have uh, mm. when the world was relatively normal and serene. It's funny, isn't it, when you, you just yearn for Brexit because they remind <laughs> you of the days when actually, you know, life was good. <laughs> Not that there was any contention then. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do wonder, um, you know, in years to come, whether there will be, you know, big exposés in, in terms of what happens in terms of casting, script writing. Because in, in, in theory, mm. all of the stuff that people did at home should have been made even easier. So writing yeah. and coordinating this stuff, you know, you don't need an office for that. You don't need to see people. No. Uh, but obviously castings, you know, is going to be made much harder, presumably, unless you simply cast known actors. But who, who knows? Um, nothing really came out of the Doctor Who production office before March this year. Um, no. And, and not, even less has come out of it since so well since you know. since the change of the guard at the doctor Who production office the, the the news has been very sort of spartan anyway hasn't it it's they've, they've been, yeah, it's they've been rubbish the yeah it has been, yeah. It's been rubbish yeah. and, and it's um it's not even as if it's coordinated rubbish um if that makes sense it's uh it's just a, a stony silence it's almost ignoring there is uh audience wanting yes. to help support the show um no and, and therefore i think you know fans attention has changed changed a little uh and, and they don't really rely on anything that comes out of um uh, official sources and and again we talked about this briefly on 311 phil but the tweet alongs that emily cook and i yes. emphasize yes, her we, christian we, name now yes we must <laughs> correct that we made a massive mistake on the last podcast we kept referring to emily as emma we do. We do apologise. <laughs> we, we didn't just do it once. I think we did it about four times throughout <laughs> the entire show. But uh, yes, Emily has, well, um, at the time of recording, announced, and it's now taken place a further tweet along, which took place last Saturday, um, which was Mummy on the Orient Express. Um, sadly, both Phil and I weren't around. Otherwise, we'd have got involved. Would have in done that. it, indeed. Um, but uh, there's another one uh, coming up as well to celebrate Halloween, and uh, that's that's an, that's going to give us both enough notice. So perhaps uh, the DWP will be involved in that tweet along as well. What story would you choose for Halloween? Ooh, good question. Mm. Um, I try to think of something. Obviously, it's got to be something from the modern iteration of Doctor Who, because it's got to be short. We, we can't do something like Pyramids of Mars or something like that. Or um, Well, perhaps. I, but this, um, yeah. I don't know, actually. Um, it's got to be a couple. It's got to be a scary one, isn't it? Uh, or, or creepy. So Waters of Mars. Waters uh, of Mars, that's a mind. good shout. Yeah. Um, I'm trying, I can't think of the name of the episode, but the one with the werewolf in it. 
Tooth and Claw. Tooth and Claw, yes. Of course, that's a good one. And I've seen that relatively recently, actually. Well, about a year ago. That's recent for me. Um, Yeah, that is quite a spooky one. Um, How about... Ooh, Silence in the Library? You know, again, Mm -hmm. a little creepy. Not not obviously. I seem to be gravitating towards David Tennant's era or we both are actually I thought we both so, are actually um, yeah <laughs> what's um yeah I'm just trying to think Capaldi's got a face for Halloween really isn't he but uh, true <laughs> without being rude um and Eccleston yeah, again there's nothing immediately obvious perhaps but I, I I think um this is something that Emily is 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 uh taking advice on from uh the fan community and has probably had every single episode suggested. Oh no doubt, <laughs> so no <far>. doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll see, but do keep an eye out for that. Um, it's usually very obvious to spot if you follow the right people on Twitter, or indeed follow us, and we'll make certain that we publish the information as and when it's announced. Yes, indeed. Um, and indeed. you never know, we might get involved again, Phil. It'll be good if we do. It would. It'll be good it would if be we We discussed on the last show, Phil, uh, what you've been doing to um, keep your fan gene satisfied. Oh, that sounds a bit rude, but I'll keep that in anyway. Um, in, in terms of um, what you've been watching, what you've been listening to, and uh, we're both fans of Big Finish and we both yes. share the problem that we own far more Big Finish than we have time to listen to. But um, over the last month or so, we have both listened to a relatively new release, haven't we? Yes, yes. We've listened to Out of Time, starring David Tennant and Tom Baker, no less. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. It looks like a dimension barrier failure. Normally imperceptible, but with visitors crisscrossing space and time. Oh! Oh, sorry, uh, wrong chapel. I was looking for the little shop. Oh. Fast. Temporal energy discharge. Outside the door. What do they think is coming? What have you got there? Sonic's scientific uh, instrument. I really should find a way back. They don't give up. They're relentless. Unstoppable. In my experience, no one's unstoppable, only ever unreasonable. The doorway's connected to a corridor. Time corridor. Ma'am, I'd advise you to stay... You're very well informed. What did you say you were? A doctor. A travelling doctor, much like yourself. Now, we both listened to this quite some time ago, uh, but... I did quite enjoy it. This, this is not going to be a very in-depth review at all. Um, but no, I thought it was, it was, it was quite enjoyable, actually. Yeah, um, and it's, it won't be a review at all, actually, because I've not made any notes on this whatsoever. But I, I, I knew we both listened to it, and I thought, well, it's a multi-doctor story which always seemed to have a, a special place in fans' hearts. It certainly does in, in mine. Yeah. And um, Big Finish are generally very good, uh, with a couple of notable exceptions. Sagreus, um, where they've, <laughs> they've, they've brought these, uh, they've brought the uh, actors together or the doctors together, yeah. and um, told a really good story. And I have to say, um, I mean, this is what just over an hour long, maybe just under an hour long. Yeah. Um, and it's the first of three multi-doctor stories um, that they're, I believe, releasing once a year. So it's a, it's a long, it's a long game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and as I said, they're only an hour or so long each, and this is the first. And David Tennant with 
Tom Baker. And I have to say, this is everything that you would want as a fan. That was my view. Yes, I think so. I think it nicely highlighted where the Doctor had ended up by the time he got to number 10. But there is there is a a part I think in the story where the sort of like the fourth doctor takes stock of his future self somewhat. Yeah. It's, it's lit it's littered with moments like that. Yeah. I mean, um and it's not at the expense of the story either. I mean the story is quite interesting and it's got shades of silence in the library actually. Yes. Um uh, to it. But uh, nothing that rips it off to the point where you <laughs> think this is a rip off. Um but I, I think, you know, the setting is almost incidental because clearly the main event is the two doctors working together, yeah. uh bouncing off each other, using their, you know, quirky traits of their own portrayals and I have to say it works uh, absolutely brilliantly and um, with, without going into any detail in terms of who else is in it and uh, nope, nope. the intricacies of the plot uh, I would have no hesitation at all in saying just invest in this it's not very much either is it I think because it's a single disc it's yeah. round, It's less than 10 quid that's right yeah. um, in the UK and y- you know they constantly have deals and offers on um, and I don't think it works out to be that expensive in America either. And uh, I, I would suggest, yeah, get hold of this, have a listen, and uh, perhaps you'll get to hear some other members of the DWP team review this uh, in a little bit more detail in a future show. Someone kindly tell us where we are, please. You were on the beach by the pipeline in a restricted area. Now, why? I heard a movement coming from inside the pipes. A movement? There was something inside that tube because I heard it too. And so did I. You seem to know quite a lot about our business. I told you I was really being curious. There is something very strange going on here. But what? What's happened? I... I just don't know. Just down there, in the darkness, in the pipeline, waiting. Before we get into our main part of our podcast, he says, 25 minutes after we start recording, <laughs> um, let's just have a quick chat about Fury from the Deep, uh, the animation that was released, well, probably four weeks or so ago and yes. um, I'm I'm halfway through it but Phil you've seen a lot I've seen a lot I've seen a lot and it's uh, another good blu-ray release really um I think it's it's again it's a story I I I knew nothing <laughs> about going into it. I haven't listened to any um or sit watch any reconstructions or listen to any audio versions of it or listen to the you know the existing audio I should say but no I I really really enjoyed this um and I was a little bit um sort of like trepidation when it comes to the Troughton stories because his, his period is always sort of held in such high regard. And then when you see these sort of missing stories sort of brought back to life and then they're never really yeah. sort of hit home for me at all. But the recent couples who we've had, the faceless ones and now Fury from the Deep, I've really enjoyed both of them. I think Fury from the Deep is a really good story. No, I, I, I think those two are strong stories, and I was looking yeah. forward to their release um, because of that. But I, I, again, I, I, I am familiar with the stories. Fury from the Deep is probably one of yeah. the best Second Doctor stories there is. 
and uh, it, it doesn't struggle at all over its six episodes. And tra- I mean, it follows I think, the invasion, yeah. I seem to remember. And, you know, so it, it's not like some of these animations um, that are early Troughton stories where he's still finding his character. Yeah. I mean, the second Doctor is there, you know, and uh, it's it's makes it a lot easier to watch. And the whole the whole thing's quite interesting. I mean, it's a couple of completely mad characters in it, um, but it's uh, it's it's great. I mean, if ever you wanted a story about malevolent seaweed, then you know you're not going <laughs> to get much better than Fury. Not and really. Of first, you know, first appearance of the Sonic Screwdriver as well. Yes, indeed, indeed. I mean, some of the bonus content there as well. Um, mm. When they sort of re- revisit sort of some of the the filmy locations, there was a couple of. Um, there's one location which, which I think they use as the uh, as, as the oil rig um, station that was taken over by by the, you know the, the seaweed or the, or the foam or whatever it was. Um, they revisit those um, those locations out out in out in the English Channel somewhere, um, and they are literally just falling to bits now. Um, it's sort of um, it's all everyone's sort of wearing hard hats, and it's sort of you can't step on there because it would just fall through the floor, you know. But um, but it's amazing they're still standing. Exactly yeah. as they were, you know, sort of nearly, well, nearly sixty years ago now. So, I always wondered. I mean, I <clears throat> I know they've got either a sizable budget or they're just very good at making these things these days. But um, I always wondered. Let's say someone relatively new. I mean, you you you, but you're not new to Doctor Who, but you were new to this story. Yeah. So you've not seen any of the visuals, and yet you then watch um, a special feature that goes back to the location used in a story where the original footage no longer exists and i just just wonder whether or not that removes people too much from the uh, story and is it is it really going to be watched by anyone other than people like you and i or is this release simply aimed at fans i think this is aimed at fans i also think because they're they're um they seem to be pushing out a lot of trout and animations at the moment. We haven't had a Hartnell one for a, a long, no, long time now. No, no, so I think what they're aiming for is to try and get a Blu-ray box set released together for Troughton. Oh, I, I wonder. Um, that, that's a possibility uh, to get an entire set. Yeah, I don't know whether that would be a good idea if it, if it would involve re-releasing animations that have only just been released relatively speaking anyway um, yeah. yeah yeah who knows who you don't knows? know because but... I mean, obviously obviously to, to feel you know to a complete series because obviously this was victoria waterfield's uh departure um from, from the from, from the show so um they haven't done evil of the daleks yet which which is an introductory story and i've heard that's on the cards that's been yeah, that's I've been heard that animated too. yeah that's the other thing actually we haven't had any formal announcement have we of what the next animation is yet. no we we've haven't had, we've had leaks and rumors and yeah, but nothing formal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, interesting. But yeah, yeah. For, for me, I've, I've been enjoying the story and I've been enjoying the animation. Um, I, I still maintain it's the closest we are going to get uh, to seeing this story on television, unless, of course, they do find it in Philip Morris's office. So, Well, maybe, we'll maybe. But, uh, yeah. but, the, but the one good thing about this release, uh, you can watch it in colour or black and white. Yes, and I think that's uh, in line with all of the others, with the exception of the special edition of Power. Isn't yes, it? I think uh, indeed. Color, yeah, color yeah. versions. Do you watch? What's your go-to version when you watch these? Do you watch black and white or or color? I've got to be honest. I go for the color one. Me too. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever watched a black and white one apart from the special edition of Power. <laughs> <laughs> what could you watch? What could you take? 
On a never-ending mini-break What could you watch until the end of time? Cause of acts or so partners in crime It's time for you to choose It's Desert Island Who Now that was a witty little ditty as Ooh. I like to call them, yes. um, composed, uh, recorded and supplied by none other than Mr. Leeson Fisher uh, of the Radio Rassilon podcast. Uh, I told him I'd get a mention of Radio Rassilon in <laughs> again. So, Phil, can you say a sentence with the words Radio Rassilon in now? Uh, Just- yeah, yes, um, I've, li- I've listened to a few Doctor Who podcasts and Radio Rassilon has been one of them. Yes, and it's it's second only uh, to the Doctor Who podcast, I find. Indeed. <laughs> so after you've fi- after you finished it, go find the Radio Rassilon podcast. And on it, you will find Leeson Fisher and some other bloke called um, uh, Harry, I seem to remember. Harry Medium. That's correct, I yes. I don't think that's his real name. How can you have Medium as a surname? Well, I, d- I don't know, actually. Maybe we should ask him one day. Well, Leeson's quite small, <laughs> so, so I wonder if I need somebody else to make it large, but there we go, you never know. Uh, no, Leeson, Leeson's special, now that I've kind of insulted his uh, stature, then he probably won't record anything for us in future, but no, I um, I got in touch with him a little while ago uh, to, to tell him that we are launching Desert Island Who, and in case you wonder what precisely that is, then I guess you'll find out by listening to Phil and I over the next half an hour or so. Yes, indeed. Uh, But um, the concept, very, very briefly, is if you are stuck on a desert island and you have five things to keep you company until either you die or until the end or, of- or, per- or perhaps you may be rescued it might last till you're rescued James yeah? but there's that's some optimism here rather than you die or the end of time okay yeah I suppose that is a slightly pessimistic yeah. view of things yeah it? but either, either way uh, the, we have five categories we have a classic story a new who story so 2005 onwards a big finish production a Doctor Who non-fiction, so a reference book, and a Doctor Who story. So essentially a novel or a, a, even if it's a target novelization or something along those lines. Yes. So you're allowed to select one from each of those categories. And uh, the whole idea of this segment is it just gives us an opportunity to discuss a number of different stories uh, over a number of different forms of media. Yes. Um, and in future, uh, we will have... A host and a guest, and uh, I think our first set of guests will be the remainder of the DWP team. I haven't told them yet, Phil. Well, they know uh, now, don't they? <laughs> but, uh, they probably know now. Yes, assuming they they listen to us, of course. Um, but for this episode, this you know, the very first segment, uh, Phil and I have decided just to ask each other or interview each other. So we will take on the role of host and guest. Yes, as, indeed, as, as we indeed. go along. So let's let's take each category in turn. Phil, you can go first. So, which story have you selected from the classic era to keep you company until you get rescued? Get, not, die. not die. Exactly. Thank you. Not die. Um, That's okay. Yeah. Now this is oh, this is probably going to be quite an obvious answer, but hang on a moment. On. I'm going to interrupt you go and be annoying. Go I'm going to guess. Go on. Have a go. <laughs> it's going to be a well. It's going to be a Pertwee story. Okay. Yeah, you're right on that count. That's all I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's Inferno. Yes, my it's my all time. Actually, it's my all time favourite Doctor Who story from 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 the classic era. I absolutely 
adore Inferno, uh, primals and all. Actually, it, it, it was completely <laughs> so unnecessary to, to the plot. Um, it was it was perfectly okay without them. But I suppose you had to, you, you had to have a a scary monster of the week to frighten the kiddies. Um, to me, it's sort of atypical of, of Doctor because there's no um, there's no sort of soundtrack. There's no music at all in that story. It's just this constant hum of of the drill head. And when he goes mm. to the alternate universe, it's the sound of, again, you've got that sound, but then you've got the sound of the earth basically cracking wide open. Um, and I just think it's utterly, utterly brilliant. And everyone seems to be having a fantastic time doing it, playing their, their evil alter egos on, in the alternate universe. And I, I think it's got, and it's got a, um, a fantastic villain in Professor Stallman in, in the, a long line of, um, I will not be beaten by bureaucrats and, and, and meddling, <laughs> meddling unit personnel and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a cracking story. I absolutely adore it. I mean, I, I enjoy Inferno as well. I, I've got very little to say uh, that's negative about it. In fact, I think I'd actually have to try and think of something negative because uh, nothing springs to mind. I know you said it was atypical, but it is typical in a way hmm. uh, of a third Doctor story um, in, in as much as that obviously it's a... Uh, it's a story that's based around uh, a threat on Earth. Yep. You've got various bureaucratic civil servants involved. Um, I, I think it does differ from others in as much as it does spend a long time in an alternate alternate universe, yeah. which I think even back then, you know, or especially back then, would have been a fairly novel concept. Yes. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I know... Speaking in 2020, you know, you could reel off a dozen films or TV shows that play with oh, God, uh, yeah. Yeah. reality, but uh, there weren't that many back in the 70s. There were some. I think all of the performances are really good, and um, I like all of the, well, pretty much without exception, all of the seven parter Pertwee stories. Yeah as well um and i i even like i mean this is more of a season seven thing really but the uh the opening um you know you kind of you didn't just go into episode one you ended up having a shot of the lava yeah um and and so on uh with the episode numbers emblazoned over the top i like that that gave it a scale of um you know it felt a bit epic yeah and and, and so on That's it. and uh of course there are precious few uh, stories with Liv Shaw in it anyway, and uh, this is what a wonderful, you know, departure. I know exactly, her, even yeah. though it was it, well, it wasn't meant to be a departure, was it? But she was just sort of not not asked to come back after that. But it's um, yeah, I, I think that the seventh season it, it sort of stands on its own, really, in in, in the whole of Pertwee's tenure because it hasn't quite yet got that Barry Letts and Terence Dicks <laughs> footprint there, has it? It's more it's more of a, a, a leftovers from. Troughton's era in a funny way. I, I I know what you mean, and I think when you think about it, there are lots of comparisons to make with Troughton's era, but it does, for me, have its own identity as well. Yeah. You, you, you're right in as much as it doesn't slide into the formula later on in the Third Doctor's yeah. era that's revisited time and time again, but it's um, I, I like that transition period. I like the Third Doctor... Um, it's still the same character in Inferno that we saw in Spearhead. Yes. And I know it's only four stories later or three stories later, but it's it, it's still different enough yeah. from uh, Troughton's portrayal. And he hasn't quite mellowed yet, so there's a few you know rough edges. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. I, I, I do enjoy that one. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'd say that it was the 
um, my favourite story of Doctor Who ever, or even of the Third Doctor era. But um, yeah, yeah, I can see why you've chosen that. So okay, okay. Well, that's um, well, I've I've waffled on long enough about my choice. But James, what is your? What would you take to the desert island of a classic Who story? <laughs> Well, um, I'm going to stay in the same era, oh, okay. uh, but just ju- just move a little bit further forwards. And uh, I did. Uh, the thing is, you see, I knew you would choose a third Doctor <laughs> story, and uh, I, I wasn't sure whether I should deliberately move. So I've kind of got two, but one of them is I'm not going to talk about greatly because you probably won't speak to me about <laughs> it. Um, and I'll mention that one first, and that's Delta and the Bannerman. Okay, and uh, now probably not something you would expect me to. To, no. to mention well, what, and it's it, yeah why Delta and the Bannerman because it's hilarious it, it, <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, totally unique to who there isn't anything even in McCoy's era that you can compare this to I don't think no. anyway other than the fact that it's got Bonnie Langford and Sylvester McCoy in it uh, but it, it's got Don Henderson portraying one of the best villains ever so straight um, and it, it's one of these stories that fandom loves to hate, and yet it's also one of the most accessible stories mm. for people who don't follow Doctor Who. If you want to show Doctor Who to someone so that they understand what it is that you're obsessed with, and you want to show them a Seventh Doctor era, you can't go far wrong with Delta. Yeah. You know, it's 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 got it's like a modern Blake Seven, <laughs> and it it's it, with, with Ken Dodd. Yeah, and- exactly. <laughs> It's uh, well for episode one at least. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It's, it's it's a great story, but I'm not choosing that one. I only wanted to mention that so that we we at least um, mentioned a different story. Yeah. I'm choosing Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh, okay, okay. That's uh, that's an interesting choice, actually. A very interesting. <laughs> interesting. Define interesting. No, it's um, <laughs> no because I I think it's um, a, a story that could go well without the dinosaurs they seem to be sort of tacked on i th- i think i think it's a, a, a really good story it's it is a good story dreadfully realized yeah. i accept that it's pretty obvious that the dinosaurs are dreadful now but i'm going to assume that that wasn't the case back in 75 uh, no i I, th- I no i think even then they they drew some ire for their awfulness actually oh, really? yeah yeah what what came first dinosaurs or the chewitz adverts Ooh, now you now you're asking. It was around about the same time. Oh well, there you go. Maybe they ended up using the yeah, same bit of yeah, time. Yeah, because I think I think the Chew the <laughs> Chewitz advert was actually was actually 1975. Oh well, there yeah. you go. Well, firstly, how do you know that? Um, because I'm a bit of a geek. So. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm I'm impressed. But yeah, same same kind of um, same kind of realization. But for me, it's it's episode one. Uh, that uh, that really does it and this was again when it was uh, broadcast everybody knows this I'm not saying anything that fans don't know but it wasn't Invasion of the Dinosaurs it was Invasion and uh, that was because dinosaurs were a big thing and they 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 wanted to kind of uh, you know not spoil people or give them uh, any indication as to why um, London had been deserted or been evacuated and I I think it worked really really well Um, incidentally it's also the reason why episode one was erased because it was uh, apparently considered part of the uh, Troughton story invasion and was junked episode one was junked uh, because it was called invasion that sounds about right for the BBC and, yeah yeah well whereas two to six was the invasion of the dinosaurs and was not yeah 
Um, now I've probably got some details wrong there, but uh, I find that my a little interesting. But the the story itself, I think, is great for a number of reasons. One, because first time Doctor Who's done dinosaurs. Full stop. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's good. And uh, they, I think, bringing them to London was a uh, also well, not quite a stroke of genius, but it's a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, familiar setting. Um, you know mixed with every child's favorite monster from history uh, yeah. I, I think is a, is a winning formula or at least you would think it is um but i also love the unit um vibe in this uh, story as well yeah. and it's clear that the doctor and the brigadier are getting closer and uh, i the thing that gives me that warm fuzzy nostalgic feeling which lots of fans will tell you uh, is created but by different things mm. throughout doctor who's history uh, the unit vibe is one for me. Watching that family all together uh, operate as a unit um, and seeing the Doctor and the Brigadier rely on each other for different qualities yeah. is is what does it for me. And I think certainly Invasion of the Dinosaurs is um, a showcase in why I love uh, the Third Doctor era or it's a, it's a shining example uh, of why I love it, even though many people do... Um, do knock it. I, I think it was one of the final VHSs I ever managed to secure as well. And that would stand to reason that it was one of the last stories I ever watched yeah. for the first time, if that makes yeah. sense. I, I just I just love the story. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you say about the, the, the unit family. Um, I've always seen this as this is the beginning of the, the end of the unit family because you have Mike Yates turns traitor, which I think is a fantastic twist. It, it is, but I never really related to Mike Yates' character at any point. I mean, I realised he was a little more rounded and defined than Benton, so yeah. But um, yeah, it was. It was. It was definitely uh, an interesting twist, um, and it's also interesting given the fact that it wasn't the end of the character in the series, or indeed even in the Third Doctor era. No, that's right. And, yeah, uh, it, it was redeemed somewhat um, late, late later on. But yeah, I, I I I do. I just I thoroughly enjoy this 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 particular story, and uh, I'd recommend um, anyone go back and uh, take another look. Uh, particularly if you're one of these um, fans who you know has just got it in your mind as a bad story, and you're not going to go back and watch it. Go back and watch it, indeed. I concur. And Delta and Abandon. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that one, but. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's let's move on to New Who then. Yeah, now it, it's funny because we, we sort of mentioned the Tenth Doctor earlier on. You've gone Tenth Doctor again, haven't you? I've gone Tenth Doctor <laughs> again, um, and I've gone for Utopia. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, um, it's not the greatest story in the world. The actual plot itself is fairly slight. It's just the build-up to the Master's reveal, mm-hmm. and then when it happens... I think it's one of the most heart-stoppingly exciting stories that they've done. That it's just pure energy. Once he opens up that pocket watch, you got that build-up. He can hear the voice in his head. He opens up the watch, and then bang! It all happens. All hell lets loose. Um, and I think it's I think it's great. Um, it's just a shame that what comes after 
for me is a bit of a letdown. Yeah. Last, you know, the sound of drums last the time. Oh, I, th- I think it was you know? for, for, for fandom in general. But again, these things yeah. tend to get better um, when you rewatch them. But but Utopia was a brilliant episode. I agree, and um, it's uh, it's one that I remember really enjoying at the time too. And not just for the climax, although clearly the revelation there, nobody saw it coming i don't think no i certainly didn't no, i don't think so um yeah. and I, th- I thought it was a good story in its own right but i think certainly the way that um it finished as well with i i seem to remember it was to be continued or something along those lines it was yeah, yeah the tardis was stolen by the master you had the future kind trying to break the door that down to it. yeah yeah indeed. so yeah absolutely fantastic uh, it, yeah, I think it's a justifiable um, selection, I, I have to say. But uh, would, you, would you say this is your favourite episode of um, uh, of Who since it came back? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was my all-time favourite, but it's certainly one that I would quite happily, you know, if I was stuck on a desert island, it was one I would quite happily watch over and over again, mainly because it's got Derek Jacobi in it. Mm. Um, I think he's, a, he's he's an absolutely fantastic actor, and he's changed from Professor Yana to the Master, which is done with a look. <sighs> there was no dialogue. He just the way he just looked at the camera for it's is complete character change. I think it's just a shame we didn't get more of his Master on the television. Oh well, I certainly agree with that, but um, uh, I, I guess. I guess once you secured Derek Jacobi um, for one episode, then you consider yourself lucky getting him back for 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 more, uh, particularly after yeah. he'd um, regenerated. Um, <laughs> <would> have, <laughs> well, well, big finish did it, didn't they? They got him back. Yeah. So. Well, the funny thing is, um, I, I I think you. Uh, it wouldn't be so much of a surprise now because the series has played around with um, timelines. I mean, you look at the Master. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we don't know um, whereabouts in the Master's chronology. The um, Series 12 Master fits in. You know, it was never no, exactly. really articulated. Yeah. It could have been could have been anywhere, I suppose. At this particular point, when Utopia went out, everything was very linear. And uh, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was good. And I assume Derek Jacobi was the incarnation that came directly after Eric Roberts. But um, I think that's what you're supposed to. I think you're supposed anyway, to assume so. that, yeah. yeah. But no, yeah, it, exactly. it was a good story. Um, I, I have to say, I like Jack in Utopia as well. I, and I think the conversation the 10th Doctor has with Jack um, about, um, you know, why is he still alive and all, all the rest of it. Because yeah. am I right in saying, of course, it's difficult not knowing your choices in advance, you see. Um, I'm having to slowly. <laughs> remember but this is the episode where jack meets the 10th doctor for the first time it is yes because mm. he um it's where they sort of uh refuel the tardis in cardiff on top of the torchwood hub because it dovetails into the end of torchwood series That's one right. doesn't it? yeah again i wouldn't yeah. have been able to say whether it was season one or season two but i remember that working really well as well yeah yeah, yeah it does so it's got the opens with well before it, the opening or pre-credit sequence ends with Jack clinging onto the TARDIS in the time vortex. So yes, <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, no, good, good choice, yeah. good choice, film. Yeah. So what? What's your choice, James? What would you take to this? Uh, well, I, I this again, this, this just shows how good our planning is because I had also chosen a tenth Doctor story, which, which, which I'm going to move away from now. Um, oh, okay. Uh, because it, you know, it, it, it's not really about choosing the story. It's about choosing a story that you could watch, and there's there's one that I could watch time and time and time again, and have done yeah. so, and have cried on every 
occasion. All right. Okay. Um, and I'm going to Father's Day here, and uh, which I, oh, which I okay. think is such a brilliant way um, to show time travel in action in a in a drama uh, that Doctor yeah. Who was becoming back in 2005, and the creation of Rosie's parents' backstory was was so well done and so emotionally yeah. impactful. I mean, even seeing a young Mickey uh, still gets me uh at, at <laughs> yeah, time. yeah i i also love seeing the doctor's and rosie's first argument um where he yep. walks off in a fit of peak the imagery seen by an empty tardis when it's no longer got the universe inside it it's just an empty yep. box and the, the, the feeling of being trapped that the doctor manages to convey or, or eccleston manages to convey really really well the creepy church Yep. The human drama, every one of those extra characters is believable. Yep. Pete Tyler himself is a fascinating character who is, you know, you could call him a knockoff Dell boy, and he is, but he's got more depth, you know. Yes, uh, he Sean has, Dunwell yeah, I agree. Really just makes that character sing, and how could they not bring him back, you know, uh, for the following year yeah. uh, without diminishing yeah. returns? And you could argue that they didn't, but um, I think uh, <laughs> Father's Day for me uh, was probably the best drama episode, well, or, or character-based drama episode um, in series one. Um, so yeah. it kind of matches Dalek for sci-fi, you know. That was the best sci-fi story yeah. told in series one. And uh, it's, you know, no coincidence, I don't think, that you had Rob Shearman and um, Paul Cornell write two of the best stories of that year. And you, you, you look at their other stuff, um, and they are, you know, very, very gifted writers. And I wish we'd seen more from both, in all honesty. Yeah, same here, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah same here. It was a shame. Next on our list of uh, of uh, keepsakes on our, on our desert islands, which big finish story would you take with you? Rather than you asking me the next one, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to you first, okay. actually. So now this this is always going to be a bit of a weird category because um, obviously there's so much more audio stuff out there uh, that it's no guarantee that both of us have listened to it, and I didn't I didn't, right. I didn't want yeah. to spoil it by us giving each other advance warning. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm gonna use a Seventh Doctor story. Um, okay. Long-term listeners of the DWP would have heard me talk about this over you know previous years, but as a Seventh Doctor Evelyn and Hex story, um, and it's got Ace in it as well, uh, called A Death mm. in the Family, written by a chap called Stephen Hall, who never again contributed to the Big Finish series, which was an absolute mm. crying shame. But uh, I will ask you: Have you have you heard this one? No, I haven't, so you're going to have to sell this one to me. Right, okay. Well, Big Finish, again, in the early days, and this isn't really in the early days. Um, I think, again, without looking it up, um, I can't remember what number it was, but Big Finish had been around for a a good few years when this was released. Um, And it was at a time when um, Paul Wilson, who is one of the former presenters of the WhoCast, the DWO WhoCast, Um, He and I are still in contact now. We're we're, we're good mates. And he worked for Big Finish for a little while and suggested that this chap called Stephen Hall, who had written a very bizarre book called Raw Shark Texts, be commissioned to write a story. Now, I've summarised that in one or two sentences. Um, It was probably a lot more convoluted than that. Uh, But the upshot was it happened. 
And yeah. this story, A Death in the Family, is one of these epic Doctor Who stories. It spans decades. Um, and it, uh, it covers the lives of each of the individual companions um, you know, over a period of years. And uh, yeah. Ace is um, living with a guy she's, she's met. And lots of uh, backstory is interlaced with previous um, big finishes as well. Now, it's not so important that you would need to go back and understand how this fitted into that little arc. You could yeah. go and listen to it yeah. in itself. Um, and I actually met Stephen because I was so taken by this particular story. I, I, I made an effort through Paul to go and interview him. And uh, oh, okay. we met in the Fitzroy Tavern. <laughs> and uh, again, if you... Well, if, those if, were days, yeah. Was, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you go back far enough, you'll find the interview on a former DWP. But that was probably, you know, eight or nine years or so ago now. Yeah. And um, it's it's one of these stories that really leaves a lasting impression yeah, you know it fits in with Evelyn's and Hex's arc, um, yeah. and it's emotionally impactful as well. And it kind of reaches parts of you that uh, you know regular Doctor Who just can't because it can't spend the amount mm. of time um, you know tickling your fan gene um, to such a such an extent. Um, and yeah. it's it's an yeah. absolutely brilliant piece of drama and a fantastic piece of writing. Um, and I don't think uh, it has ever really been surpassed since its release. Oh, so, wow. um, okay. So I, w- I would heartily, heartily recommend anyone listening to this. It's quite heavy. Um, so, you yeah. know, the, the content in it is quite quite serious. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And, um, yeah, I, th- I would say go and listen to it. It can't be more than a couple of quid on the Big Finish website. Nobody, no one. Doctor! Hello. You've changed. Regenerated. I found the engagement ring in your sock drawer. Is this your strange way of saying you'll marry me? Time's up, Time Lord. Any last words? Oh, yes. I've got last words. Several billion last words, in fact. It's high time, and nobody, no one, that you heard exactly what kind of man I am. To understand Peloton, the thing you need to know is, no one really dies here. Uh, I'm Henry Noon, by the way. While you were tinkering with my cordis, you did disable the security system, didn't you? Ah! Oh, you didn't. That was an oversight. So, here we are again, the Doctor and Evelyn, just like old time. What is it you want, Word Lord? So I'm going to kill everything. Everything that crawls, grows, wiggles, and swims in all of reality. Bang! The whole lot. Finished. Kaput. Finito. Completo. Gone! How's that for a plan? Nobody has that sort of power. Evelyn! Oh, good. Okay, we'll have to sort of look that one up, actually, Jay. It does sound very um, very interesting. I'm sort of quite glad we... we... Well, you said where it, it, it sort of interweaves with other big finish stories, but you don't necessarily have to have had to have listened yeah. to those prior. Yeah, so that's... Well, uh, put, put, it, put it this way. One of the conversations I had with Stephen when I met him um, was, yeah. you know, how this fitted into this particular chronology. And Stephen had got such 
a good understanding of this little range that he decided that his story could fit in in one of two places because there are a couple of time loops. So that gives you how difficult <laughs> it ah, is to right, place okay. it. But it really doesn't <laughs> matter. It, it's purely for you know fans who are following those releases as and when they were yeah. they were released. But um, put it this way. It was it was the middle story of a trilogy. I think it was preceded by one of the project stories, uh, which uh, Mark Wright and Kevin Scott um, had, had had written. It, that that in its that first story was the third of another trilogy <laughs> that were focused on an organisation called the Forge, which was yeah. arguably the forerunner to Torchwood. Um, yeah. I, I say arguably. I was certain it was. Um, and then it was followed by a another story, which was um, oh, um, I'm trying to remember what that was called now. But uh, it was it was a standalone story, and it wasn't a strong story. But because it followed a death in the family, it suffered yeah. uh, to such a point where I really disliked it immensely. Oh um, dear! But yeah, I've listened to that story probably about four or five times, and I'm trying to watch it or listen to it sparingly so that it still has the same impact every time I listen. Yeah. Oh, good. Excellent. So, so yes, um, you didn't explain precisely why you'd switched the order, uh, but uh, I guess it's your turn now. <laughs> yes. Now, the reason I switched the order, because I've been going first all the time, and because we, we haven't, we've had no sort of uh, idea of what each other was going to say, <laughs> and I've sort of, I've, I've kind of caught you out on a, on a couple of choices so far. You've, you've had to sort of <laughs> oh, I see. go you've, to your second you've choice. Been very yes. kind. Well, thank you for that. Yes. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, my big finish choice, it might, to a lot of people this might be an obvious choice, um, but it's a story I've listened to certainly more than once. Um, with, with big finish, I tend to listen to it, A, because I'm usually reviewing it for, um, for, for, for podcasting reasons. I don't tend to listen to um, Big Finish for just for pleasure a lot of the time, which, which is to my own detriment. It I've, is, I've got to definitely. Be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we, we, we briefly mentioned earlier that, uh, respectively, our we've hardly scratched the surface of our of our Big Finish collections, and I certainly haven't listened to at least three quarters of what, of what I've got. Um, so I, I really must put that right. Mm. So, however, so this choice might be obvious to a lot of people, but I'm going to pick spare parts. Oh, well, you, you, you spent so long in the build-up there. I, I, I was thinking, shall I jump in and shout spare parts? <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or Chimes of Midnight. <laughs> no, it was, it's actually going to be that or The Spectre of Lanyon Moor. Which I, 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 that's the sixth um, episode, or sixth, sorry, big finish release in the main range ever yeah. issued. Uh, yeah. yeah, fantastic Sorry. It's a really good, a really good story. But I, I picked spare parts, um, only because it's one of the, one of the, the stories that I listened to so far that really dragged me in. Um, and I think the the world building that was done to describe the state that Mondas was mm. in, um, just by sort of like listening to like the the um, like the, the sound effects, the descriptions of what was going on, um, people living in basically hovels really um it was almost like 1984 but i thought the the acting in it was absolutely fantastic from from everybody in this one um and the realization when the fifth doctor realizes where he is and what is happening um it's utterly fantastic and also the the work that nicholas briggs does to bring back the mondasian cybermen but also not only that you've got the the full fully converted 
Mondasian side moment. You've got these partially converted ones as well, and the sort of partially converted horses as well. And it's it's a horrifying picture that it paints. It is. No, you're it really absolutely is. right, and I agree with everything you said uh, completely. I, I think it's interesting you dwell on the point where you or the listener becomes aware that the planet they've arrived on, the Doctor and Nissa have arrived on, is in fact Mondas because you realise yeah. it at the same time the Doctor does. Yes, and that is indeed. not easy to achieve, even on TV. And you know, getting it right on audio is um is, is a real feat and it's it's got quite a a small group of characters in this as well but i think the one thing that um and i got a bit it did sort of bring up a bit of a tear to my is that the yvonne character or vonnie as she's known where she's she's um I, I hate to sort of give it away it's an old release so please you know spoilers ahead you're, pro- but, you're protected um, by the statute of limitations here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah when, when she's sort of converted and it's not gone quite right. She goes back to her home, mm. um, and sort of, conf- and her, her father realizes who he, who he's talking to. Um, I, I think it's heartbreaking. Oh, it, it is, and they 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 try to emulate that in the David Tennant two parter, um, the Cyberman two parter. And again, yeah, I'm going to forget what it's called, but it had trigger in it for any fools and horses. Um, Age of Steel, Rise of the Cybermen. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, yes. they try to do that again, um, pull on the emotional strings where you realise a conversion hasn't gone as it should have done. And um, it just failed. Uh, you know, they, they actually give yeah. Mark Platt yeah. a, a credit on that story. They um, did. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the difference between the two, you had, in spare parts, you already had an emotional investment in that character yeah. and that family, where, whereas in Age of Steel... You didn't. They just sort of took out the emotion chip of of a, of a, a Cyberman they managed to knock out, and released. You know, the fun that there's a human inside it, or you had no investment in it at no, all. No, there was just because it hadn't been earned. Um, and, exactly. And they, and they tried yeah. to repeat that a few times, where they toyed with this concept that you know conversion doesn't always go uh, as smoothly as it did in the 1980s, or um, you know yeah. in, in, in older stories. And I, I, I just feel that it never really worked. And you know all they really needed to do was just learn from what Mark Platt had done. And um, I'm not a huge fan of Mark Platt stories uh, in general. And I, I'd never liked Ghostlight. I found that very difficult to get um to get into he's, yeah you he, and me both actually yeah, well he's yeah. he's a tricky writer um he's very very marmite i think um but having said that he doesn't have a definitive style um if you look at something like um uh, spare parts and compare it to uh, the butcher of brisbane which is another fantastic fifth doctor story yeah. that he pens um that's a sequel or prequel uh, to talons and, yes, uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, but, uh, again, yeah. another epic story taking place over many, many years. Um, that's that's a fantastic story. But then again, you look at something like the Skull of Sobek, which was one of the um, Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller stories with crocodile men in it. You know, it's uh, doesn't have any impact whatsoever. But all no. of the, all of the good things about Mark Platt are exemplified in spare parts. Yes, indeed. I think towards the end as well, it, it sort of gets wonderfully creepy where you've got the sort of the five sort of cyber controllers, as it <laughs> yeah. were, this this hive mind thing. And I think the what what they achieve there through the the, the voice effects, you know, it just echoes what you previously heard in in, in the Troughton era. Mm. And I, I think it, it just sort of brings back all those 
memories of, of, of all those previous stories you listened to and all, all the different cyber controllers and the, and the different versions of cyber men we've had and the, the different voices they've had over the years as well. And it, um, yeah, and it just, it's all building up to, to that point where the, where the next step really is the 10th planet. Wow. Love it. Oh dear. Uh, you maybe want to go back and listen to that. And I know, <laughs> I, I, I know, I know we've got a review in the wings um, waiting uh, to, to be aired on a DWP from Michelle and Drew. And I must get round to, to getting that on a future episode. But uh, given the fact that we're going to be um, setting records fairly soon, we ought to move on to the, to the next, uh, to the next category. Uh, so, so what have you, what have you chosen? What's your reference book of choice? It's actually a, Actually, I think it was a birthday present uh, my wife got me, um, and that's uh, The Writer's Tale. <laughs> now, this is the first edition. I haven't got the updated edition um, because my wife got Russell T. Davis and Benjamin Cook to sign it for me. Ah. So it's it's also got like a, a, a very sort of personal reasons as well. So it was my um, my wife sort of um, indulging my passion for Doctor Who. Um but not only that, it's also a fantastic insight into how a series is put together, um, with with the with the exchanges between Ben Cook and and, and Russell T Davis um, sort of document, and again, it, it, it's a hefty tome, but it's a really good read mm. as well, um, and I I think it's. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my sort of. I've read it twice now, actually. So I think it's it's a really really good book, and it's something I would. Um, Happily reread on a desert island. Well, I really I, would. I'll spend a little bit of time talking about this because this is my choice as well. Oh, okay, <laughs> and, great. Uh, it's it's. I mean, there are plenty that I could have come up with. Um, lots of reference yeah. guides as well. This isn't really a reference book, but it's a non-fiction uh, who book, and I think it's probably the most interesting read um, from any of the Who alumni yes, um, about yeah. the show. And, and Russell T. Davis is an engaging individual at the best of times, and he's, he's yeah. exchanging emails with Ben Cook, who's a journalist, uh, who, um, you know, is very, very into Doctor Who, and he asks all the right questions. And yeah. uh, it, I remember what, uh, reading this the first time, um, and there are a couple of stories that Russell T. Davis was writing when he was exchanging emails. Uh, Voyager the Damned was one and the casting of Kylie Minogue. So it chronicles almost in diary format how that came about. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, yeah. And th- those are some of the bigger revelations. Others um, are just decisions, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of plot, uh, character names. Uh, yes. So, you know, he talks a lot about Donna, who I think was originally not called Donna, it was somebody else. I can't remember who now. Well, was it was it meant to be a completely different actress as well? I, well, Catherine Tate was definitely not for season four. No, she wasn't. No, it was, it, and it, I think it was just a happy accident that they brought back the character. I think well, they, I, they were, didn't they had cast someone else as a completely different character, hadn't they? Yeah, I think they'd certainly got some way down that process and they ended up paying her off or something when they realised that Catherine Tate was willing to come back and reprise Donna. But you're right, it wasn't Donna. It was somebody else that they'd planned. And again, that that's all chronicled in the book as well. But it's it's one of these things um, that I read when it was released, and you said it was a hefty hefty tome. It's a bloody big book, frankly. Um, and yeah. I remember <laughs> carrying it on the tube uh, because there was no paperback version, there was no Kindle. No, it's hardback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was going to read it no matter what. And uh, I remember getting a few people look over uh, because it was it was quite a noticeable book, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, you, you think you get a couple of 
you know, knowing looks from other Who fans. But yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> book. So um, I, I will join you in your in your choice there, and um, and throw the next question at you directly, given we've both answered that category. Yes. Um, what um, what what have you chosen uh, for either a novelization, so original? Well, it could be original story, could be one of the target books. What, what have you gone for? Well, it is um, it is a target book, and it is now. Please don't laugh. Actually, you may laugh because my reason behind it—it's the twin dilemma. Okay, I'm not laughing. I'm I am I'm curious um, because <laughs> it is stupendously bad. Oh, oh right. That's why. Okay. Um, it oh, is written. It is it is written by Eric Saywood, and it is as awful as the televised version. But he has this completely nonsensical. Um, part in it with a cat that seems to be a cat yes that has got nothing to do with the story it just um it's set on um i think it's where it's sort of like a bit of a prelude of where the twins came from but he seems to spend a lot of time this this cat and this cat's thought processes and what he's doing in the garden (laughs) watch watching the skies and it's never to be heard of again in the rest of the story It it is just it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And you um, want you want this to be on a desert island with you, so you can read about this cat until well, yeah, literally well, the end it, of time. It, it, it actually makes me feel better about myself that the fact that well, yeah, um, I can't write a book. You know, I wouldn't know where to begin, where to write a book. I know how to plot it. I know have a beginning, middle, end, characterization. And it's just actually sort of it's sort of a calming notion to think that neither can Eric say. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Um, fan wisdom will tell you we didn't have much material uh, to, to to work with. But um, I mean, who who wrote the TV story Twin Dilemma? I can't remember. Was it? Anthony, I can't remember. Anthony, oh, someone. I can't remember. Oh, but it's, I tried uh, to put it out of my mind. Actually, so. well, it's it's not that bad. I mean, perceived fan wisdom will tell you that it's weak, um, and I, I don't think it's the strongest story ever. But it's nowhere near as bad as uh, the Time and Irani, the first Doctor, sorry, the first story in the Seventh Doctor era, in my Oh, view. no, no, it's not as bad as that, no, but I, no, I, no. I, still think it, I still think it's a pretty terrible story, okay, actually. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know whether I've read that novelisation or not. I may have done, and if I did, it was years and years ago. I used to, um, I used to have a commute of just over an hour or so into London, and yeah. I used to be able to read uh, a novelisation almost um on each journey i remember i was taking yeah. two uh with me to work each uh, day and uh, i used to uh, especially with lunchtime as well i managed to to polish off too so i may well have read it but i don't remember disliking any particular story um i remember fury from the deep taking me a very long time i didn't realize it had been vastly expanded yeah um, but uh yeah, twin but dilemma. But that, that, that's why I like the target novelizations because they they can expand on the limitations of of the TV version. Yeah, and there's very few occasions where they haven't done that. Twin dilemma is one of them. Um, they did nothing to improve it at all. Um, and the other one is the novelization of Destiny of the Daleks, which is unusual for Terence Dix, but mm. it's a very very by the numbers. Um, adaptation of the so televised nothing, version. Nothing different. I mean, I, I'm not. No. Sh- I'm not sure. Again, unless I suddenly found myself with a heck of a lot of time on my hands, that I'd have had the motivation to read 
straightforward novelizations without looking out for anything special because yeah i you know I, there's so much else that i want to read that i haven't you know i'm not familiar with and um you know and i'm speaking totally about who uh but there's you know yeah. the new adventures i would go back and reread uh before uh, a straightforward novelization novelization yeah yeah oh, well, so, so, yeah so what else was it that uh, if indeed there was anything uh, else about the twin dilemma that makes you think I, I i would like to reread it again and again i mean was, was it purely just the cat it was purely just the cat fine really that that was it because it it it, it was oh. it was a really poorly realized attempt to add something to the story and it just didn't work and oh. i don't know how it got past the first draft i really don't well, 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 well. I don't have much um, more to add, really. I'm not sure what else I can. I'm not sure what else I can ask you about that. Other than, uh, I think you should choose something else. <laughs> but what would you take, James? What would what would your fiction choice be? This 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 caused a little bit of uh, thought to take place, which uh, is is a good thing. Um, I mean, I was an avid follower of the Eighth Doctor adventures when BBC. Yeah. Uh, launched the range with the eight doctors um shortly after the tv movie had been yeah. um, uh, commissioned and uh, there was one particular story by lawrence miles which really pushed the boundaries uh called alien bodies and I'd, i've mentioned this um perhaps on a podcast before um not many yeah. people have read it um or not many people have finished it <laughs> if they started <laughs> it but not 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 because there's a strange cat in it or anything but it, it, no. it's a totally and utterly sci-fied up version of uh, of doctor who this is the eighth doctor and sam uh, is the doctor and companion team uh, sam has been mentioned you know i think she was mentioned in night of the doctor and she's been mentioned in a few big finishes as well yeah uh, but she was the companion um the bbc gave the eighth doctor in this book range oh, okay yeah um she's got shades of rose um lucy and Charlie, yeah, she's just a hybrid, really. Hybrid, uh, yeah. But at the time, yeah. she was quite a, quite a distinctive uh, companion. The whole concept of the book is that the Doctor has died and that his body is being auctioned off at this odd... Um, uh, on this, I think it was a spaceship. I can't quite remember whether that's the case or not. And the Eighth yeah. Doctor finds out about this. And he was thinking, well, hang on, who's, who's, um, who's auctioning off my body and uh yeah. it's time lord you know biology shouldn't fall into the wrong hands and yeah uh, yeah it's um it, it it's so well done um that because yeah, it's an it's, it's a totally original concept uh, nothing like it had ever been done before yeah. and it just compelled you to continue to, to to read and um you know the the teams of individuals of aliens who turned up bidding or uh, to place a secret bid for the doctor's body um yeah. you know it was it kind of tickled the doctor's natural curiosity to find out who these people are, why they're doing it. Uh, but he's yeah. also the whole thing is laced with his sense of incredulity and um, slightly being pissed off. <laughs> <You know, laughs> he's annoyed, uh, but at the same time, he's fascinated and he's pleased he's made an impact. Uh, so he's he's kind of getting a vision for the future. Um, yeah. and, and again, the ending is is interesting. Uh, it's quite satisfactory, but it's a, yeah. it's a fascinating story. Um, and I have to admit, I don't have it with me uh, in my house at the moment. I think it might be one that's still languishing in my or in a box at my folks' house. So I must go and dig it out because dig that one out. I, yeah. I, I'd like yeah. to watch it again. Uh, it might well be available um, for a couple of quid on Amazon or eBay. It's not one of these hard to find 
novels. Ah, right, okay. Um, but okay. certainly Lawrence Miles um, got a reputation for writing some seminal, um, you know, novels, original novels, yeah. either for the BBC or Virgin. And um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a fascinating individual. Um, in <laughs> If you follow him online, he's, he's interesting. Uh, but his books are stunning. And uh, The Alien Bodies is, uh, is, is a riveting read. And I would uh, I would heartily recommend it to anyone who likes likes the novels. Oh, good! I, I haven't read that one. I've got to be honest. Like I said I haven't even, as I said earlier, I haven't sort of uh, read any of the, the Virgin New Adventures. So mm. I think some of the other, I think I read a, a couple of the BBC releases. I think one of them was a uh, a Second Doctor, um, Jamie and I think it might even be Victoria story that was set on some with with the, with um, sort of shark. Shark men. Oh, I know what you mean. Yes, I know the story, um, but I can't think of what it is. I thought for a second you were going to say Invasion of the Cat People. Um, no, <laughs> just no. Just because I... you've got this thing about cats. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was something to do with, with like shark men um, on this aquatic planet. I can't remember what. Oh. It, came, it came, actually came free with... I think it came from with a Doctor Who magazine. It, yeah, that does ring a bell. I have to yeah. say, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I read that particular story. Um, again, I've never really been been a fan of um, monsters that are essentially either completely or partially animals from from Earth. And uh, yeah, you know. yeah, but yeah, in, interesting stuff. So good. Well. Phil, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, Same here. Um, Same we, here. We'll have to wait and see how the format uh, develops over coming episodes. But, uh, well, but listeners, well, obviously, well, the, the format will be a bit more straightforward because it will just be straightforward host guests. Absolutely. Next time, won't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So this, yeah. this this was really just a, a an excuse for us to discuss various eras of uh, indeed of, of, indeed. of, of Doctor Who. But uh, by all means, let us know what you think. Uh, get in touch with us. Usually, email address feedback at the Doctor Who Podcast dot com. Uh, Phil, I feel as though I am stealing your thunder because this would be the first time that you haven't given the contact information out. So I will be quiet and let you continue. Okay, you can also contact us <laughs> on, on Twitter um, at the DR Who Podcast, and you can also find us on uh, Facebook as well. So um, please send us your feedback or even your own desert island choices. Oh yeah, you can, you can do that, but make sure you keep them brief. I don't want to read them out. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can record them perhaps, and if you can get them, get them into a couple of minutes. But uh, but by all means, uh, let us know what you thought of our choices and um, what what perhaps you would choose as well. That would be good. Anyway, um, yes. next up is episode three hundred and thirteen coming out um, at the end of October or beginning of November, um, and it will see the return of nine lives and uh, and Ian uh, to the yes. show, which um, I, is, will be a wonderful thing. And I think I am taking part in in that uh, particular part of um, of nine lives. I think we've reached Father's Day, so um, the fact that I mentioned it earlier on um, <laughs> is, uh, will have nothing to do with the comments that I make uh, when I <laughs> analyse it in slightly more depth. But deeper uh, thought, yes, yes, yes. Uh, very much looking forward to that, and I'm sure we'll have some other bits and pieces on the episode as well. I think that's it, Phil. Have you got anything else to say? No, no, other than uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will we will see you next, or see you, or how, what can you do on an audio? You can't see someone on an audio, can you, on an audio well, format? Well, not, not unless it's a video podcast. 
No, don't know how. I don't know how it's going to pan out actually. But uh, you can listen to us next time. How about that? <laughs> I, th- I think that might be the most straightforward thing to do. Yes, listeners, yes. wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for staying with us for a slightly longer edition of the DWP, and we will be back in a few weeks' time. Bye for now, everybody. Bye bye. to a relatively new release, haven't we? Yes, it was um, End of Time, um, starring David Tennant and Tom Baker, no, no it less. Wasn't. It, no, wasn't. it wasn't. It wasn't. I thought it wasn't. What was it called again? Go on. The End of Time has been done before. <laughs> <laughs> Parts one, part two. This is called Out of Time. Out of Time. Let me do that again. Jesus oh, Christ. No, no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> do that again. How did I forget that? <laughs> I did there on the bottom of my screen. Why should I just enlarge my screen now so I could actually sort of read what I had in front of me? Don't worry. Let's do it again. Crikey. Um, so go go from where I said, haven't we, Phil? <laughs> it might be easier. Yes. Go for it. Of a Time Lord um, Blu-ray box. It was for the um, the Doctor Who cookbook. Um, now it was quite interesting actually because he got the. Now this was released in the uh, in the eighties. Not the. There's, I think there's been other Doctor Who cookbooks been released um, since then, uh, but the one released in the eighties was Stars of the Show submitted recipes um, to this cookbook, or Stars of the Show at the time. Uh, submitted recipes for this cookbook and Toby Hayduck invited them onto this documentary to actually cook these recipes um, that, they, <laughs> that they submitted all those years ago with um, varying results was all I would say actually it, and actually it is a very very entertaining um, entertaining documentary it really is um, and that's I think it's one of the beauties about all these, these blu-ray sets that come out um, they're still managing to generate new content um, for all of them, rather than just rehashing the, the same old um, documentaries from the previous DVD releases, you know it's uh, no. And I say it, it's a it's a well deserved award. Actually, the, the... I, I, I've I've not yet seen it. Um, I've I've discussed it with you. I find it interesting you say that it's good that they're coming out with original content when actually this is called <laughs> the Doctor Who Cookbook Revisited. <laughs> so although it's not rehashing an old extra, it is rehashing an old idea. That, an old um, idea, an old book, yes, indeed. Yeah. Gary Downey, John Nathan Turner at the time. That's they right. They come up. Yeah, was, I, think it was, I think it was actually Gary Downey's uh, brainchild. Actually, brilliant. absolutely yeah. brilliant idea, and, and, and yeah. the actual award was the Royal Television Society West of England Award for Features and Factual Entertainment Content. Wow! No, that's not niche or long enough. I've, I've, <laughs> I've never heard of anything. It was up against a few other 
uh, shows as well, which I think included Countryfile. That's the only one that stuck in my mind when I read the release. Uh, but the thing that I really did like is that they focused on a Doctor Who recipe that was entitled The Kipper of Trakan. Oh dear, that's a terrible pun. Isn't it? Oh, brilliant. That's very fishy. But I, I, I thought it was... Uh, a, a nice sounding idea and I think Chris Chapman uh, was responsible for its production or at least was involved in um, making it in some way and again that's as detailed as you'll get from uh, from Phil and I. <laughs> was, um, Toby had presented it did he? Yes he did. Um, I, I, I say because he's quite involved in a lot of the um, sort of content on these Blu-ray releases now um, so he's certainly in front of the that it's sort of in front of the camera more than sort of like moderating um, sort of audio commentaries and things like that. Um, so, but it's good. He's he's a very sort of very natural uh, presenter, um, and I, I've enjoyed the stuff that he's done so far. Actually, um, I mean, like the I can say like the, the weekend with Waterhouse. Fragments, Which I've so. not seen either. It's really it's, good, actually. Oh, that in itself is a sequel, is it not, to a John Levine yes. uh, documentary that I have seen. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, 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 I like the idea, but essentially that's a small mini series of Doctor Who weirdos. Um, and uh, which I think is slightly exploitative, um, but I, at the same time, it's gripping stuff. Um, yeah, I think we've. Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, John Levine. Yeah, he's he's on planet Levine. No, no oh, doubt t- about tot- it. I mean, totally. The only reason why Hadok did that, I think it was about a forty minute in the end, forty minute, forty five minute um, documentary was. Yeah to show everybody how strange John Levine was. And because it went down so well, they thought they'd come up and do another one. And of course, Matthew Waterhouse is a bit bizarre. Um, but was it was it in the same kind of vein as that? Or was it a little less odd? Le- it's less odd. Um, Matthew Waterhouse is very self-aware. Um, J- John Levine isn't at all. He has got no... No, no self-awareness whatsoever. He, he just He's just on show all the time where... Um, Matthew Waterhouse. No, he was quite self. He's very sort of self-effaced. He's got a very dry sense of humour, um, and I think what I, what I enjoyed about it was Matthew Waterhouse lives in Hastings, so all the um, location filming I knew like the back of my hand. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. So and even where where he lives, I know exactly where in Hastings. That sounds like I'm a stalker now, actually, but um, I, know, <laughs> I know I know exactly what where his his apartment overlooks. Um, I know which end of Hastings it is. It's it, it's I thought. You've got a very, he might disagree with me, might say, Phil, you're talking absolute rubbish, but by the looks of it, he said, you've got a very nice life, Mr. Waterhouse, is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. In- interesting. I, I, I know he's an interesting guy, and his, his career has taken him, you know, across the globe. Um, I know he spent a long time in... Um, in America, possibly yeah. LA. I'm maybe getting that wrong, but uh, I, re- I remember he... M- attending Gallifrey for the first time when he'd written Blue Box Boy. Yeah. Uh, and he's done this bizarre thing, and it will forever be strange uh, because he's written about himself in the third the person. person. Yes, remember, I mean, yeah. I've never read it. I remember you telling me before it was all it's in the weird. third person. Yeah. That is extremely weird. I mean, maybe it enabled him to recount events in a way that was easier for him. I don't know, but it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Um, as a reader, and I only got through about half of it again, I very rarely end up finishing <laughs> a, a book that's been written by a Doctor Who alumnus. But uh, yeah, no, interesting. I, I, it is on my list of things to watch. 
that one. But I, I, I guess we ought to really say congratulations to Toby and Chris and the team. Yes, and, indeed. Um, uh, to say well done. Uh, you, you've you've won an award, um, and I think even if it is slightly niche, and I'd never heard of it before, uh, I had heard of the Royal Television Society, and I know that they're well respected within the industry. Well, so of course, we, we've been to, we've been to one thing. of their events, James, haven't we? Oh, did I? Did I go to that? Oh, was that the Stephen Moffat thing? Yes, it was, yes. Oh, Oh, wonderful, wonderful organisation. I thoroughly enjoyed that. (laughs) That uh, God, I didn't realise that was the same thing. That was in the Guardian's building. It was, that's right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. jeez. Well, thank you for reminding me of stuff I've done um, and forgotten, (laughs) Phil. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, lovely.